Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation, and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer. And I'm talking from little old Britain, the Big Smoke, London, one of the very few truly international cities of the world. And in this episode, we're going to talk about a tech leader leading the technology space in a jostling brand marketing space. And that tech leader is Oded Cohen. Welcome, Cohen. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? Great to have you on and lovely to get some time with you. I know you're a busy man. So would you like to kind of introduce yourself to the audience, what you do and where you work and your role? Yeah, so I'm the CTO of a company called Nativo. Um, Been at the company for the last seven years. Uh, Originally uh, an engineer, um, last 20 years, worked at different companies, mainly startups, uh, originally from Israel. Uh, last company before Nativo was acquired by a, an American company, and that's how I ended up uh, moving to the U.S. Uh, so it's been a long uh, journey. Great. Years. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's an interesting, uh, I've been interested to kind of go tunnel down into that purchase of how that impacted the work that you were doing as well. So, so in terms of uh, the company that you work for, Nativo, um, uh, they're in the advertising space. That's correct. Uh, so we're doing, um, we basically have a platform that allows um, execution of, of running of uh, uh, online campaigns. Yeah. So you have... One part of the, one side of the business is publishers, people that own sites, companies that own sites that want to either sell or monetize their site um, and sell directly to their uh, advertisers. Right. Uh, on the other side, we also sell directly to advertisers ourselves on behalf of those publishers uh, because some of them are not big enough to be able to sell everything that they have or anything at all. Yes. Uh, we specialize in native advertising or sponsor content. So it's a bit of a more, so the goal is really to have a much better user experience for uh, both the, the user and a better outcome for brands. Yeah. And the idea here is that instead of trying to get the user to click on a banner and then send him to some other site, we're actually delivering content. Uh, we're educating the customer, giving them information. And so they can, Basically, when they click on native ads, yeah. they can read an article within the same site they were, they're already on right. and kind of find more information about more advanced topics, uh, about the brand, about things that the brand is doing, about technology. Yeah. So it's really good uh, way to reach an audience and educate your audience and create some brand awareness. It's not necessarily for, hey, I want to sell like a $20 I don't know, um, some tool or something yes. that's not, so that's where you use banners and, you know, just get the, somebody to click and go to some site. This is about, you know, longer sell cycles. Like maybe you want to buy a car. You're not going to click to buy a car. So you need to educate people about it or some financial plans and some of those things. So more advanced, um, maybe mm. plan a vacation, Although nowadays I'm not sure it's the best way <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very different, uh, yeah. or the best audience right now. But uh, so the idea here is that you're less interactive to the user and you're really providing information to users to, or potential consumers yeah. so they can choose or think favorably of your brand or your product. Excellent. And so from a kind of, obviously you're a techie, uh, you know, uh, you've moved yeah. up from your kind of, uh, role as a as a technical person up into a kind of uh, leading that technology space so in terms of the kind of advertising space i mean it's quite a i mean it's not an area that i've ever worked in myself um do you have to kind of understand the kind of mechanisms of advertising the the nuances and and how best about go about it so i guess the question is are you a kind of marketing expert as well as a, a technical expert 
So I wouldn't say I am the marketing expert in the company, mm. uh, but you, you definitely need to understand the, the ecosystem. Um, even just from technology per, uh, aspect, there's uh, Nativo is not, you know, uh, the only player in the market. And typically advertisers will use multiple platforms to do different things and different part. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's various uh, companies that we are integrated with, uh, data companies, verification, uh, other sorts of uh, technology that kind of completes the full uh, solution. And so you do need to understand the, how the, the brands work, yeah. the buyers. Uh, you know, there's brands, there's agencies that really are the one executing those campaigns on, on their behalf. You need to understand the publisher space and what they need and what they have and their, you know, challenges. Yeah. Uh, so you definitely need to understand that. Um, you also need to, you know, understand where the, this is a very fast moving environment. Um, it's, it's not new. It's been around for probably 15 years now, but um, you can buy online in real time, like an auction in real time. Uh, if, if I go to a page and um, there's a slot of an ad, that slot is actually being auctioned in real time most of the time. And you have other buying platforms that we actually, we, we, ha we manage the auction on, on that in, that, in oh. those cases. And so this is a very complicated environment, both on the technical side, but also on the product or business side. And so yeah. there's definitely a lot of things to learn. Um, yeah. Especially, I guess, in my level, if you're like an engineer, um, you know, you can do a good job just on the tech level. Yeah. But as you progress, knowing the industry and knowing what, who your customers are, uh, it helps a lot. Yeah. So uh, what I'm hearing is that there's quite a lot of um, different kind of customers. I mean, you, there are the end customer. There's the kind of audience that you're trying to work with. And then you've got these companies that are trying to place these advertising, creating the content and what have you. So from a kind of business agility perspective, um, I imagine there's a lot of kind of variables. There's a lot of shifts in those different customer ends. How do you kind of manage that? How do you kind of adapt to that? What What's your mechanisms to make sure that you are delivering what's needed? So when you say customer, there, so we, uh, we, we should separate consumers, which is the people that see the advertisements and, or read the sponsor content from sure. customers, which is our customers, which is the publishers and the brands or the agencies. Uh, so when you say about customers, you're talking about our customers or the end consumer, the end customer. Yeah, I think that's where my confusion is because they all look like customers to me. But yeah, <laughs> I can understand there's, you know, there's a difference. So you've got the consumers and you've got your customers, which are the companies that are creating the content and placing to reach the consumers. To reach the consumers, yeah, yeah. And so in terms of that kind of feedback loop, there from a technical uh, leadership perspective, how how do you kind of go about making sure that you are delivering what they need? Is there um, I mean, for example, do you have kind of retrospectives with them to kind of see what worked, what didn't work and what we would do next time? So, you know, there's, there's two parts. I mean, you know, the longer, st the longer term strategy, you probably have to think yourself because some of them don't even know what they need. Ah. Uh, Nativo invented to some degree native advertising, which is different formats than, than the banners that you used to see. So, Native advertising, not, it's, not, it's, it's giving you the full native experience of going to a site, looking for an article to read, and then getting a sponsor article uh, that is really embedded, is native to the site, is embedded, yes. the experience is embedded in the site. This was invented. It wasn't like the brand said that they wanted it or the publisher said that they wanted it. In fact, the publishers in the early days pushed back on that. Wow. Uh, and so for the longer-term vision, I think... Uh, you know, you need to know the industry and where things could go, but you should really come up with things. It's, it's harder to validate some of those things. You really, uh, you know, it's like Steve Jobs said, you know, people didn't know they needed an iPhone, right? That's right. For the, but once you, in the, I say for the shorter midterm, yeah, you need to understand what the people want and what are their needs. Um, and so what we did actually recently uh, on the tech and product side is one of the things that, so when you're a small company, it's a bit easier. Uh, you know, you have a small team, you can work in, you know, small circles. You can work directly with the business stakeholders very closely. 
uh, and it works, but as the temp- company grows, it's actually very hard. You have like, thir- I, you know, I have 40 people in my team. There's a product, there's the, the sales team is bigger. Now it's, 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 it's a lot more complicated and we're working on different parts of the platform, which has basically uh, tackles different business needs. Yeah. What the publisher wants and what the advertiser wants are two different things. And even within the, the buyer, the brands, the agencies, we have bigger agencies and smaller agencies. And so there's a lot of different needs. And so what we did was we actually transformed the way we worked on the tech side and divided it into small pods, not wow. the COVID pods, but uh, <laughs> it's basically each pod, which is, a, think about it as a small business unit yeah. that has their own engineers that have different type of engineers because they have to develop in different parts of the platform. They have a product owner, they have an engineering lead, but they sit directly with the business stakeholders every week. They have direct access uh, and they can iterate. Uh, we work with two experience. They can iterate very closely with the business stakeholders. And so what it allows us to do is that each of those pods can focus on one business goal right. um, or one major business goal which is aligned with what the stakeholders, you know, want. Yes. Um, and so instead of trying to manage everything from above, uh, which was very hard and trying to, how do you figure out between those competed goals, competing goals and how do you allocate resources? Uh, one of the challenges we had was, let's say on the executive level, we want to say, you know what, we want 40% of our resources to go here, 20 here, 20 here. Okay. Those are the three main goals. If you try to manage it on a two-week sprint, it's actually very hard to maintain that. Mm. It's almost impossible because there's a, there's a lot of small features and a lot of things that can, you know. And so when you actually make that separation, you can roughly do that allocation up front and let those pods, little teams, little business units run themselves. And so we yeah. found this is a lot easier both to manage things, but also uh, to address uh, different business areas in a lot better way. Yes. Because, you know, sometimes there's like a few, let's say there's like maybe two or three small features that are really kind of can actually be very helpful. But if you're trying to manage everything from above, you won't even see it. Yeah. Now we have a small team that is really focused on that area. Uh, yeah. And we found that it's really working really well. Brilliant. And, and in uh, terms of, um, so for, if I, I imagine from your perspective is that, you're kind of delegating, truly delegating down to autonomous teams that are given a problem to solve and, uh, and they're solving it. Um, yeah, that's part of the idea. It's really uh, like trying to manage the day to day and every little thing uh, from above w- was not realistic. Again, when you have a team of seven, 10 engineers, yeah, mm. that's probably what you want to do. Uh, but yeah, it allows them to have more, uh, freedom, flexibility. They make their own decisions on certain things. You have some visibility, obviously, um, yeah. but uh, you, you will su- be surprised. There's a lot of good, uh, interesting ideas coming and how to execute on those ideas is actually done probably better than uh, me or anybody else trying to manage from above. That's excellent. I mean, this is really warming because I'm being an agilist myself. You know, I, I really believe in the, uh, the values and principles of the agile, uh, yeah, agile kind of mindset. Um, uh, and, and also this idea of creating kind of cross-functional self-organizing teams. So that the transition from what was, uh, I imagine was quite a command and control um, uh, way of doing things to, to this. I mean, what, how was that transition? Was you, was you part of that transition or was that something? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say, uh, you know, um, our CEO always wanted, um, you know, how do we align the engineering product to be, or especially the engineering to be more aligned with the business. And our engineering is structured based on technology. You know, it's very different to be a data scientist or data engineer or web application developer. You know, you need that special E, right? Mm. And you need that focus on the technology. On the other hand, the product and the business is not built on the data science, the data engineering, and the web application. It's built on all of it together and different yeah. parts need uh, different type of engineers within it combined. And so this was always something uh, that, you know, was kind of like a goal and it's not new. I worked uh, with that mindset in previous companies. 
The problem I think is when the team is very small, you can't do that. It's just, it's, you have to have a certain size to justify creating those pods. Those pods have to have a critical mass of people. And so um, I think we probably could have made some of that decision a bit earlier, maybe a bit, maybe six to 12 months earlier, because we became big enough to justify creating those pods. And we had at some point a strong product team with, that could do leadership on those different units. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we made that decision. We've talked to the team uh, and, uh, you know, we do it, we did it relatively quickly to some degree, but, um, you know, it, it proved to be very, um, very good. Wow. It also helps collaborating when between teams. Yes. Because if the team is working on their parts of the solution and another team works on another part of the solution, uh, they're not always synced and aware well of each other's. Yeah. Each other. And so when they work in the pod, you have one engineer from this team, one engineer from this team, and they kind of collaborate a lot more closely. Now, it's not perfect. There are challenges. Um, but I'm definitely, um, I'm very happy with that, yeah, move, yeah. With I- that change. I don't know if uh, we're, we're, we're going to use the video, but I can see the smile on your face. There's a very kind of like, yep, we did it kind of thing, which is, uh, which is great. And, and in terms of um, for our kind of audience out there, tech leaders out there, because sometimes when I speak to some tech leaders, there's a very kind of um, uh, a, a distorted view of, of some of these kind of principles that you talk about. You know, there's a fear around it. Um, I, I mean, speaking to that fear, I mean, what would your advice be to the kind of uh, tech leaders? <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, I think I read somewhere that uh, the agile is um, is just uh, creating the uh, structure around an in-structure process to make bigger company feel more comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I think that in in the tech environment, you see how fast moving things are, right? You have new companies showing up all the time. I mean, you, it's pretty amazing, right? That uh, how small companies suddenly become so big um, and completely disrupt uh, uh, industries. Yeah. And the reason is because again, technology is moving really fast and an environment that is too structured and too process oriented and too rigid is really limiting that ability to do yeah. those things. Um, you know, there's a lot of smart people uh, in our team. Also, I assume in other companies. And so the ability to give them some, you know, flexibility and room to kind of uh, excel and uh, come up with ideas. And that really is um, creating a lot of the benefit uh, for the company. And again, it's like, as a CEO, you can't manage every part of the business anyway right and so why would any like a head of engineering will be able to manage every part of his team yes yeah Uh, you have to eventually it's not scalable yes Uh, so again in each level the level of strategy is obviously different but at the end of the day you you have to be able to allow some flexibility and freedom and decision making yeah uh that's another thing that we saw is that when you allow people to make their own decisions they're a lot more committed to it Right. If they're not feeling comfortable, uh, so does it matter if a feature will be in this week or the other week? That's not critical. The critical is the overall goal. And so if they can make some of those decisions of how to get to that goal, they're probably going to do a better job. Um, And again, it doesn't mean that everybody is making the right decision all the time. uh, But as a leader, you can't be in every place anyway. And to be honest, nothing guarantees that you're going to make the right decision. Um, yeah. And so I think it's, um, it's almost a mass to have if you want to innovate and progress. Yeah. This, um, this is great. I, I, I'm kind of curious actually, because you know, um, I, I believe I totally am with you on that kind of idea of of bleeding leadership into the team so that they can make the decisions closer to where the work is being done. They, they also innovation comes out of that because they see things that you can't. Um, but in terms of your leadership style around that, um, you know, people making the wrong decision. How what's your kind of advice around people making uh, <laughs> making the wrong decision? Uh, how do you kind of handle that, and how do you nurture people to kind of not fear doing it again? 
so first of all, it's a, you know, I'm a very, uh, you know, uh, we, we've talked a bit about, we chatted a bit about it, being from Israel, I'm very direct, very honest um, in the way I communicate things. Um, and, you know, I recognize that there's a good and bad to it. Um, you know, people can find it a bit intimidating. And I, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to work on and making sure that people are not seeing that as a real attack. Like when we have a debate on a topic, you know, we can, I, I want people to express their opinion and I have my own opinion. And, you know, you have to have some balance to make sure that people feel comfortable expressing their opinion. Yeah. What I would say is that you have to be uh, ready to be wrong yourself and admit I actually, you know, I told a few of my uh, uh, employees, managers, that I'm always happy when I, they prove me wrong <laughs> or when they have a better idea than I have. Cool. You know, I was sitting in a meeting. Um, I'll give you an example of the opposite approach. I, I remember in my previous company, which the, the company that acquired us, I was sitting in a meeting and I told one of my peers that he's wrong and we were in the meeting and I could see how and it wasn't like, I wasn't doing it in a rude manner, but yeah. he wasn't accustomed to that, to people telling him that he was wrong. And I thought this was very odd. On the other hand, I can tell you, I was sitting in a meeting with a vendor, a partner of us. And I came and I had one of my managers, one of my directors with, with, with me. And uh, we were talking and there was, a, and, and I came up with an idea of what I think we can do or what they can help us with. And then he came up with a better idea. Wow. And I was like, so happy. Uh, first of all, because he had, he had a better idea, let's be honest. That's yeah. kind of like, uh, at the end of the day, that's really what matters. But it, it's so nice that, you know, I, I, you know, I you know, have my own thoughts about my abilities and things like that. But, you know, I, I think overall I do a good job, but I also, the notion that you know, you actually are wrong and you have people in the team that are, they do the analysis better than you and they can come up with a better idea is such a great thing um, uh, yeah. to have. And so just being able to not do a big face and say, <laughs> oh, you know what? This is a better idea. Yes, yeah. Um, and so some of those things I hope uh, people see and it helps people understand that they, they should come up with better ideas. Now, I think the challenge is sometimes when people come up with, with, with not great ideas, I would, you know, I would explain why it's wrong and that could sometimes make people feel, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't talk next time. But that, again, that's not the goal. The goal is, and my hope is that as they see that when they come with the good ideas, those are being accepted and praised. And, you know, I always joke, you know, uh, you know, humor is always good in those uh, situations as well, mm. you know, especially self, uh, you know, about yes. yourself. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so I hope that's, that is helpful um, that even though, you know, you might come up with a, an idea and, you know, people will find the holes in it and it will end up being not a good idea. At the same time, you're also seeing the other side of it. Um, another thing I would say is um, when people make mistakes, uh, one of the things that I try to say, and I, and I know during handling of a crisis, you know, it could be rough sometimes. And, you know, you, but at the end of the day, and I tell people, and I've said it many times, it's not important that you made it. It's not an issue that somebody makes a mistake. I think what is critical is, or we made a mistake. Uh, yeah. What is critical is that we learn from it and we do better. And so if we made a mistake, but as a result, we learn from it and now we're better and we're not going to repeat that mistake. That's fine. I mean, you're going to you're going to move fast. You're going to make mistakes. There's no other way around it. Yes. What is troubling, and what I tell people is, what I'm more concerned is that we do the same mistake over and over again. That's where, that's where we need to be really worried. Yeah. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, people are not fired for making mistakes. I think that's not how you know we operate. Uh, but what you want is you want people to learn from those mistakes and do better. Mm. If you keep doing the same mistake over and over again, there's a problem. And, yeah. and, you know, 
for your own growth, you should, we should find a way how to solve it. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, we all make mistakes. That's, I think that's not the issue. That's right. And, and your mechanism for le- doing deepening that learning around those mistakes, is that uh, at the kind of end of your kind of two week sprints, the, the retrospective, or is it kind of a general, general thing that you do? You go, well, all right, you know. So we have it in different levels. Uh, so uh, on the sprints, usually the teams themselves and the pods themselves manage that, the retrospective and things like that. Yeah. We do have something on uh, kind of like the managers, the directors, me, the, the head of product and the the, lead, the product leads that we do every maybe two or three months where we kind of uh, assess the process and, you know, tune th- certain things. And, you know, there's good improvements that are coming from that uh, right. as a result. Uh, there's also uh, specific incidents. Uh, so we try to um, learn from those incidents, sit down, uh, kind of map the uh, things that didn't go well, things that did go well, uh, improvements that we need to make in the product or in the monitoring and the alerting or how to have better tools to react to certain yeah. things. And so you have it in different levels. Uh, we also have a higher level goals that we try to set for the year yeah. I, as a group um, that, hey, you know, we want to get better at certain things. Yes. Uh, we we want to have more uh, unified infrastructure for certain things, or we want to have better uh, 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 linting across all our products or security uh, aspects. So there's a lot of things that we try to do also on the higher level. Yeah. You know, we always set higher goals than what we can achieve. Yeah, yes. Yeah, think, that's an old chestnut. I don't though, think isn't we it? ever really achieve our, our goals. But again, same as mistakes, um, learning from it. If, you know, if we progress all the time, if we're just getting slightly better every few weeks, right? Yes. And at the end of the day, that's really what counts. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. In the long run, that will make us uh, a lot better. Yeah. So... And I guess, I guess that's kind of showing in the success that you've been having um, around, uh, you know, your teams and, and kind of product development. Um, so, so in terms of uh, obviously uh, talking to the current situation in the world, this kind of very interesting time that we live in, how are you finding yeah. the kind of COVID situation in terms of having these teams and these pods? Um, how's that going? So, um, you know, I'm, I, I really liked being at the office, uh, you know, yeah. back in the days. Right. Uh, I like the interaction with people, you know, like sitting in front of people and having that discussion. Uh, just even going to lunch with my team, right? Uh, I thought it was good. Um, you know, I, I remember uh, working back in the days, not, not in this company, in the early days, and I worked with a team from the U.S. I was in Israel. And it was a bit cumbersome and, you know, awkward sometimes. And then one of the managers there came uh, to Israel for a week and, you know, worked with us at the office. And then, you know, we went for dinners and we, you know, had some kind of like off hour time. And once he went back to the U.S., everything was a lot better, far better, right? Because now you know the person, you don't feel awkward. And so that personal connection is critical. So moving away from the office was a bit hard at the beginning and I really wanted to go back Um, but over time what I found was that once we all moved to being on zoom because we always had some people remote because you know they were they're originally from the LA but they moved it with their families and there was no reason for the you know it was you know good people are hard to find and so we always had three or four people remote and it was always cumbersome to get them into meetings because everybody else was in the office. Uh, but once everybody went remote and everybody got comfortable and have their own space, it actually started working really well. Great. Uh, and there was a lot of benefit of not driving to the office and some of those things. So I actually think that once the team knows each other on a personal level, yeah. it actually works really well. And the, the pods are actually not bad because it's, again, it's, it's allowing them to be in smaller groups and work and you don't have to do those massive meetings. Yeah. So that actually really helps. Um, one thing I would say is that you need, uh, you know, we didn't hire people. I mean, maybe one or two during that time. We also lost people. I mean, we, we had to let go of some people. Yeah. But 
the problem is not when everybody know each other, no, they already knows each other, know each other, you know, from previous time. The problem is how do you bring new people in and get yeah. them to be part of the culture? So I think the key here is because as a company for the record, we've made a decision to do full remote. We're not going back to office. You're not going back. We're not going back. Yeah. Um, and for the foreseeable future, let's say, I mean, we, you know, in two years, maybe whatever, but we've made a decision, you know, we have, you know, we're shutting down some of the offices. There's no point in renewing the leases and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel very comfortable with it, to be honest, on the engineering side. Um, and the problem is how do you keep, how do you bring new people in, make them feel part, part of the team? And so when COVID is over, um, the goal will be to have those face-to-face -face time. And so, you know, we can have, uh, you know, I tell my CEO, I only need once a quarter few days get the team together work together do some off hours time yeah. get that bonding get that feeling of togetherness and knowing people on a personal level once a quarter is enough because we you know we had a company event a summit every year for a week yeah and you can see the impact of us knowing the salespeople better and the you know finance people better just on the personal level it helps a lot right yes yeah and so for my team i don't need the day-to-day day-to-day people can work from home i think it's fine once a quarter or so, we get together, you know, have fun, yeah. go back working mode. I think that will get what we need. Mm. Uh, we also do once a week um, in the meantime, and we might keep it uh, on the Friday. We have kind of like a half hour to an hour, happy hour, where we uh, basically, beyond some, you know, general updates, we just play games. Cool. You know, we divide into two teams. We played online games between the team. What kind of games? Um, we can do charades. Oh, uh, we cool. can do, uh, we also play chess. Cool. Uh, we played uh, all sorts of, um, uh, I think it's called the clue or something. Yeah. Like, um, so there's like, um, probably we played 15 to 20 different games over the course of the last, yeah. you know, seven, eight months. And, you know, not everybody, it's like probably two thirds of the team stays, stick around for that. Yeah. But it's kind of like, you know. It's just fun time, half an hour on the Friday towards the yeah. end of the week. Uh, we also have some prizes that we do every four, few months. <laughs> right. And so I think there's ways to address it. Yeah. Um, we still want to keep, though, the working hours a bit more intact. So I know there's companies that work remote, completely remote, completely, uh, you know, people different, completely different time zones. I'm talking like 10 hours difference and things like right. that. Yeah. So I think we're not there we're kind of like us time zones yes uh so everybody's kind of the same time so it's easy to we still do meetings we still use zoom a lot yeah um but you know we can work from home and sure. you know it still works pretty well I, I imagine when you were working the team one of the reasons why you like working the team was that kind of ability to jump on a whiteboard and get around and stick some post-it notes on the wall because being an agilist myself yeah. I, I long for those days again um how have you kind of transitioned from you know to, to the new way of working which is all remote and applications and stuff yes i would say the whiteboard is the, the probably the the biggest thing that is missing um, you know, just say, you know, you want to solve something. Hey, let's hop, let's just go to the, like a meeting room and start drawing on the board or in the wall. In our case, uh, the walls were the whiteboards. Yes. Um, I mean, the reality is now what we do is, Hey, let's just hop. So one thing that we do a lot is we use video, right? We still use video so you can talk to people. So we try to do the meetings with video. Everybody is on, so you can see people. It's a lot easier. It's not a replacement for, it's not a, you know, it's not a whiteboard, but it still helps uh, to do some of that brainstorming yeah. uh, part. Uh, and not everything has to be drawn. And so you just do, you know, I, you know, I, I would, you know, slack my, one of my directors, Hey, let's stop for five minutes on a zoom. Let's chat about something. Yeah. I have an idea or something like that. Or if we were using, if I see we're using too much of Slack, so let's just hop on a call quickly. Yeah. Um, people got like, you know, historically when we were in the office doing a Zoom meeting was, oh, it's like, okay, I have to figure out how do I get the mic to work and the TV to work <laughs> and all those things, right? Yeah. And everybody has to connect. And uh, so it used to be very cumbersome. Now suddenly it's very natural. So yeah, just, just hop on a call yeah, uh, with right. video and chat about it. Yes. I think um, 
and it's the subject of whiteboards you know i could see again in your face you know it's kind of an important thing you know yeah. one of your tools um i always joke that you know um uh, you know everybody should have a whiteboard with them they should walk around with them you know because i think it it just kind of creates an opportunity to kind of get on and explain yourself um but uh, yeah it, again it's something that i miss uh, and i try to use the uh, collaborative online tools yeah it's not quite the same now i bought one of these fancy pads where you can get the pen out and start drawing oh. so, yeah it's uh, um I, so in, so in terms of um uh, coming on to your uh, you know the kind of techie part of your role um, what kind of technologies do you use so uh, our system is built of i would say three main parts in terms of technology so you have the application itself the SaaS platform the web application that, that our customers are interacting with our publishers our advertiser they go in they create their campaigns you know reporting uh, all those things um, this is um, uh, it's a Python stack it's a Python right. based web application we would view, we use uh, Vue.js as the front end right which we really like um, so this is a traditional, it's a, it's a B2B application. It's not, we're not talking about millions of people using it at the same time. Yeah. So the challenge is less of a scale. I mean, there are some challenges, but not massive scale. It's more like, how do you build, you know, good user experience, easy to use platform, easy to develop uh, new features in it, right? Yeah. Um, and there's complicated logic. I mean, some of those features are complicated. And so, but it's a different it's that type of a challenge. Yeah. Uh, once you set up everything in our system, the ads need to run, right? The, you know, that sponsored content need to show up on different sites. And so every site that uses our technology, basically every time you go to any page on their site, we get a call. And then right. we need to, in real time, to decide what ad to show up. And so that is more like a, that is, you know, um, low latency, high throughput system. It's yeah. a web application, but there's no UI. You're like, you're communicating with a browser and, you know, sending bits of uh, data so that we can present the ad. Uh, and there's a lot of tracking involved as well. And we're talking like billions of, uh, wow. billions of events a day uh, that are being done through it. You have to also auction it. So you get a call, you have to call maybe 50 different platforms and in real time process it and return the ad within... So so the calls are handled manually. They, they, the calls are handled, or, or is it the platform that kind of does the? Uh, the no, it's all it's all automatic. If you set up a campaign and you say, "Look, I want my ad to run on those dates, targeting this geographic, uh, or maybe um, that device, and all those sort of combinations," yeah. When our servers get called, they say, "Oh, I have okay." First of all, let's see all the ads that can potentially run, because you know of all those rules. Yes. Because hey, this is a this is iPhone, and the the guy came from California, and this is this time of the day, and all sorts of things. So, and then out of those thousands of different ads that can run, who should get that impression? Who should actually run right now? Wow! And so you have to make that decision in real time, and so it's all done in real time. Wow. And so to build that system, first of all, it's a highly distributed system. It runs on different regions of the globe. It's it's in on AWS, so we leverage AWS right. different regions. It's um, tens or hundreds of different servers. Uh, everything is load balanced, both on global level. So if you're from Europe, you're gonna to get to one region. If you're in the US, you go to a different um, you know, data center or region. Yes. Within that region, there's, you know, there's many servers that you know, are load balanced. Um, that tech is built on Java, which Java servers, heavily reliant on caching. It's a technology called Aerospike. It's a key, key value storage, very good for high throughput, low latency uh, read and writes. Yep. Sub milliseconds, not wow. sub seconds, sub milliseconds read and writes. It's also good at replicating the data across different regions. Yeah. So that is a very different you know, mindset, right? Uh, and technology to, to do, to handle. So that's the serving itself. This is our, what we call the ad server or the SSP, the supply side platform, because it also manage that auction that I mentioned. Yes. The third piece is the data. So billions of calls a day translate into billions of pieces of data a day. Right. And every call that the server gets, we log as, you know, what impression we served, whether the, whether the ad was viewed, 
whether it was clicked, if there was a video, how long it would take to view, how long it was watched. There's, there's like hundreds of different metrics. And so all those metrics are now, all this data has to be processed and be surfaced back to that web app that we've, we've mentioned. Yeah. Because people want to see how the campa- their campaign is doing. And ideally, more or less close to real time. So yeah. they, if they launch a campaign, they want to see after a few minutes the data. Mm. And so um, that's a data engineering problem. This is more like uh, we heavily rely on Spark as the processing layer to kind of get all that data, crunch it. And uh, we use a technology, we use a platform called Snowflake, which got a lot of publicity lately. <laughs> um, and we have a layer on top of it so that an API, so for reporting, so either the platform itself yeah. can read and get all the data into the, uh, into, you know, visualize it, generate reports. Yeah. That same API is also used by um, our customers to pull data into their own platforms. Wow. So that team is more, is very scala oriented. Uh, the data engineering, those pipes are very scholar oriented and, you know, general data engineering, data schema and things like that. How do you build a warehouse? Yeah. Uh, the fourth part, which is also related to data is, okay, you have all that data. How do you make your system smarter? So we have a data science team that looks at that data and is able to ha- create some feedback loop to our ad serving system and say, you know what, you know, we have an automatic A-B testing part. So you can choose multiple headlines for your, to promote your content and multiple images. Wow. And our system will automatically learn what is working better and where, right? It could be that on the mobile device, an image is better, that image is better and a different device, something else is better. Yeah. Or certain headlines might work better for the East Coast versus the West Coast, theoretically, or yeah. different sites, right? We always have that example of, if you're a, if you're a pet company, pet shop company, if you're on a dog site, then you probably have a different headline than a cat site. Yes. That is going to attract people, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's just an example. Obviously, it's an extreme example because usually the sites themselves are also for dogs and cats as well, yeah. like the, for it, pets in general. But so, so we have that engines that are basically making the system smarter and learns what works better. Uh, and it can do very complicated things around... Um, a lot of different combinations of, you know, you know, it's possible that a certain time of day, iPhone users, a certain region, like there's certain things that needs that are better suited for that campaign. Right. And, you know, we don't even need to know why sometimes. Yes. But it's just that we see uh, it could be de- different demographics. Effectively, all those dimensions can actually point to a different demographic of people that are more matched to that campaign. Yeah. And so the system could do very complicated things and really find uh, the best message uh, to the right people or ignore certain people because they're not, you know, the target audience. They're not yeah. really interacting with that. What, what I'm kind of hearing is that I had a very, you know, simplistic view as to what, what your kind of platform did. And I've suddenly realized that there are so many different variables and it's, a, it's kind of layers and layers of, um, uh, you know, technological solutions, but also being able to use the data to be able to adapt the system to, to be able to do that. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I'm trying to find a question that I can kind of ask and not sound stupid uh, asking. Um, so in terms of that data then, I mean, it, it, we talk about big data. This sounds like big, big data. You know, there's yeah. a lot of it. Um, and in terms of kind of crunching that, do you use kind of any uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning to, to try and find the patterns or? Is... So we need to separate two different things. Uh, like, um, again, some of that data need to be aggregated and crunched so that if you go to our app, you can slice the nice data and kind of see how many impressions you got and how many ad exposures you got yeah. in a certain hour of the day and per device and what was the performance on different things. So that part is more of a big data, core data engineering problem. How do you process that massive amount of data in a fast way and make it available for reports so people can actually, because you can't, if you want to run a report on 30 days worth of data and each day there's billions of different records, that's not going to return within a second or two, right? Yes. So you have to, so that's a data engineer problem. It's a big problem as well. The data science problem is, yeah, we use different techniques, different technologies. Uh, and um, I'll give you another a nice example, which is um, 
it's not just for the product, it's also for cost efficiency. So for example, if we see, as I mentioned, we might call 15 different buyers in real time. That costs us money, right? To issue the request, get the process, the response, log all that information. If we can predict that for this specific request, right? This user coming from this device, coming from this geo, who is more likely to bid right now? And we, instead of sending it to 50, we can send it to 20. Wow. And yeah, we might lose, let's say, um, you know, half a percent of the revenue because, you know, obviously there's some edge cases that some of those other 30 will bid, but we can save 20% of the cost. That's a massive impact to the business. So we, and those numbers are real, by the way, wow. this is the, the numbers we're talking about by reducing 20% of the cost. I can reduce 20% of my cost and only lose half a percent of the revenue. Uh, and that could be significant. And, and you do the ROI and see, okay, yeah, this is actually making sense. I know what my cost is and I can basically create a threshold and say, if it's, if I unlikely to get to that level, there's no point of me making that yeah. request to some of those bidders. And yeah. so there's, there's various, um, approaches. There's, there's a lot of different, um, problems on the data science side. There's inventory prediction. Uh, if I create a new campaign, will it have enough inventory to run, to execute? It's actually a very complicated problem. Yeah, it sounds it. Um, how do you maximize the yield for publishers? How do you, because as I said, there's thousands of different ads that are competing. Who should get what? So that I can maximize the revenue generated by the platform. So, mm. you know, there's the processing of the data. There's, you know, obviously training, there's modeling and all those things. Uh, and again, we don't have the same solution in the different parts. Um, you know, there's, um, there's different type of technologies. Right. I think we also use in rare cases, we actually went all the way to use deep learning just because um, the data was so massive and it wasn't really, uh, you know, the regular methods were not working well enough. And, um, and it was, we found that this actually works and that was an extreme case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why I have a data science team. Yeah, but you need one. I, I, you know, I think I need one now after, after trying to yeah. understand that. But yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a, I mean, it is a, a lot more to it than I initially thought. So that's quite enlightening. Um, we're kind of uh, running uh, uh, close yeah. to our time and uh, I kind of want to respect your time here. I did. So, so in terms of your, what would you like to kind of offer as a gift of wisdom to the tech community out there? Your kind of key takeaway uh, uh, for their progression and, and success in their roles. Um, maybe with everything that we've talked about, I think uh, to me, the, uh, the approach to um, the agility, the openness, the accepting the fact that you can manage all by yourself and you need the people underneath you to do a lot of the decision-making. Um, it's probably the biggest part. Um, kind of empowering a lot of the, 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 I think there's nothing better than to see people grow and kind of become, you know, I have a lot of my managers that became managers as we grew. Yeah. And um, I think that's kind of like, um, it's also on the person level, obviously very satisfying, but also for the company, um, being able to create an environment where people can uh, grow yeah. uh, and become better. And part of it is to get them a chance to make decisions, sometimes make mistakes, um, and maybe not make the optimal decision every time. Now, again, part of our responsibility is to give, you know, our perspective things and help uh, guide to better decisions. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I, even though I think, a decision might not be the optimal one unless mm. it's not unless it's catastrophic or the implications are extreme sometimes it's good to let people uh experience it sometimes they actually make the actually you were wrong um not many times but <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's i think this is key for a company that is dealing with technology with innovation um that's the only way that it can work in the long run. Yeah, that's great. That's what that's I would great. put the focus on. Yeah, that's great. And uh, that resonates with me as I've kind of mentioned. I, I, I believe in this type of leadership, allowing people to become leaders in their own right, you know. 
so thank you for your time, Odette. It's been uh, great hearing about you, and uh, I appreciate the role that you have in the and and the, the amount of uh, information and uh, processing that a company like yours uh, does. So um, yeah, it's it's been fascinating. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It was great. Well, not only did I have a great CTO Confessions podcast with Oded, but we also had some really good conversations off record, particularly about cultures and how we have to fine-tune our approach with the diversity of people that we have, especially when the norms of one culture interface with the norms of another. We did touch on this in the podcast. It was also interesting to see how a sophisticated marketing company with two end customers, the consumer at one end and the branding agencies at the other, The complexity of variables with big data is quite awe-inspiring, especially when you factor in the advertising that has a real-time bidding advertisement space thingy going on. Well, there's a technical term if you've ever heard one. This advertising feels like some kind of trading floor with ticker tape everywhere. It's not an area that I'm familiar with, so it was great to have a light shone on it. Quite wonderful. So, my key takeaways from our time together were, firstly, Create small functional business units to focus, 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 focus on one thing and bring solutions, innovation and create that one thing they have in sight. Secondly, freedom and flexibility emerge the best ideas. Give your teams autonomy. And thirdly, delegate, delegate, delegate. Bleed leadership into the organisation as soon as the organisation has defined its purpose and it knows its approach to the market, i.e. define the outcomes They are trying to achieve and let them loose. So thanks again, Oded. Lots of great lessons for our community and me for sure. Thank you. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world from all of us at IT Labs. Live long and prosper until we meet again on the next podcast.